0: If you have your Bibles, you can tap your screen to Matthew chapter 5, and uh, we're going to be looking at verses 31 through 32 today. We've been in a series called Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is speaking to his disciples. There's a crowd around listening to him, and I would say it's the most famous and the greatest sermon ever preached. And so we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount. Last week, we we talked about Uh, lust and sexual immorality and some of the things that Jesus was talking about. If you didn't catch that message, you can go back and listen to it on Spotify, or you can go to our website, and you can actually listen to it there as well. Um, But Jesus is is speaking. He goes into another topic that is uh, sensitive. Uh, There's a lot of pain surrounding it, and so as we, we look at his words, I wanted to to ask the question, and you don't have to raise your hand here, but I just I, I think that if I, the question I'm going to ask, probably most of you or all of you would raise your hand. Uh, how many of you have been either divorced, you are the children of someone who got divorced, or you've been uh, you've seen somebody very close to you go through divorce and feel the pain of that? I think almost all of us can actually raise our hands and say, yeah. So so this is a, a, a relevant. Topic And as I, I approach this topic today, I want to approach it the same way that Jesus would approach it, with grace and truth and with a sense of hope and with a sense of, hey, as we learn about God's word together, we're going to understand his will, and it's going to encourage us in our own faith. Uh, a couple of things I wanted to give you, start off with a couple statistics on divorce. Um, stats on divorce, 50% of marriages end in divorce. We've kind of heard that. It's pretty much the same between non-Christians and Christians. Um, that, that if someone gets married a second time, the, the rate goes higher. And if somebody gets married a third time, it's up to th- the, the divorce rate is up to 73%. Uh, divorce can take up to a year to finalize. Uh, the average cost for a divorce is $7,000. 6% of people who decide, who get divorced, decide to remarry. 6%. And out of those 6%, there's a 72% success rate. I, have a, I had a counselor, actually, who counseled me for a couple of years and a respected man. He was a pastor. Uh, but he had actually gone through a divorce early on in his life with his wife for five years, they were separated. They were divorced, and they got remarried. They now have a ministry where they go in and they talk about marriages, which is pretty powerful. Uh, but um, let's see. Uh, this is an interesting statistic, and these are these are actually actually secular statistics. Couples that decided not to live together actually had a, a higher success rate in their marriages. At 40, there was only 46% of those folks actually got divorced, opposed to 57% of people who lived together before they got married. So just an interesting secular thing where really when you talk about the Bible and and when we talk about some of these kind of old-fashioned values, you go, man, no, actually God knew what he was doing. He knew what he was doing when he put some of these, these principles and guidelines into place. the The final straw for divorce, uh, the three biggies are infidelity, domestic violence, and substance abuse. And and here's the here's the point, is that pain causes uh, or divorce causes pain. In Malachi chapter two verse sixteen, the Bible says that God hates divorce. Why does he hate divorce? Because he sees the consequences. The broken relationship, what he had designed to be good and to stay together, he sees that broken apart, and as a result of that, there's pain. And so that's why I believe God hates divorce. Now, in our culture, um, we have a little bit of this mentality, and it's kind of infiltrated the church a little bit. And the, in, the mentality is this, is that I, I have to live in order for myself to be happy, That if I'm not happy, if I'm married to somebody and they don't make me happy, that automatically is grounds for divorce. Because the ultimate goal in my life is to be happy. That's a mentality that many people have. But the reality is a follower of Jesus, the, the mentality is not to be more happy, it's to be holy, God is sanctifying us through the marriage covenant and the marriage relationship. And as a result of that, we're, not, we're going to be happy sometimes. We're not always going to be happy. But God is, has a plan, and he wants us to be holy. And so um, the original intent of, of two people becoming one flesh comes from Genesis chapter 2, verses 24. And, and I've quoted it often. That this is why a man will leave his father and his mother, and the two will become one flesh. They will be united together. And so as a result of that, when, when Jesus is speaking to this audience, he's speaking to a group of people that have taken the marriage covenant, and they've, kind of, they've devalued it. They've made it like not such a big deal. And, and he's speaking to a very male dominant culture where the men decided, like, hey, if this woman doesn't meet my needs anymore, then I can just give her a certificate of divorce. And if that woman was divorced and and she didn't have many rights in that culture, oftentimes she would be relegated to figuring out, can I get remarried? Uh, Am I going to have to beg for the rest of my life? And so really, Jesus is speaking very, very focused to men in the culture. You see, there was different thoughts even within rabbis. Within the Jewish community, there was different thoughts in regards to marriage and divorce. There was one rabbi that that took it very seriously and and divorce was, you know, because of unfaithfulness and and he had a very uh, kind of more biblical view. There was one rabbi, a very well-known rabbi of that day, that said that a person could divorce his wife if she burnt the breakfast. I'm not kidding. This is historical stuff. Like, my wife makes me these sourdough, she does this, you remember the sourdough starter I talked to you guys about? Well, she makes these sourdough pancakes, and they're good, and she burnt them the other morning. I was like, can you imagine that? Like, you burnt my breakfast? We're done. I mean, that's just crazy stuff. That's, see, that's who Jesus is talking to. The, the guys were, they were, they, they were following after their own lust, and so they're saying like, hey, I'm done with you. I'm going to go over to this gal over here, and it was just rampant, and so this is what Jesus said. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 through 32, he says, It has been said, Anyone who divorces his wife, remember he's talking to the the guys here, must give her a certificate of divorce. That comes directly out of Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4. Verse 32, but I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Wow. And so as they have this really loose idea and just this laissez-faire mentality about divorce, Jesus says, no, no, no. This is important stuff. And for you just to kind of like devalue the marriage in, the, in, in such a way you now cause that person to to stumble, to sin. I mean, think about the woman at the well in John chapter four where Jesus is having this conversation with a a woman from Samaria and and he's he's talking to her and he he says, go bring your husband. And remember what she says? She says, I don't have a husband. And he says, that's right because you've had five husbands. Do you think that that was the woman's choice to do that? No, she had been rejected horribly five times in her life. And the the man that she was living with currently was not even her husband. And here Jesus comes to this woman who had been divorced five times. And he comes to her, giving her the living water, offering hope, offering grace, offering, hey, there's another way here. And I'm the living water And so I just love the way Jesus approaches these things. Um, You know, as we talk about marriage in our culture, sadly, you know, people can kind of, they they just get divorced for any, any reason. There's something called irreconcilable differences, right? I'm sorry. Is that me? Okay, it is me, yeah. Um, irreconcilable differences. I'm like, irreconcilable differences? What marriage doesn't have differences? Like, where what marriage doesn't have some arguments and, and can't see eye to eye on things? And the beauty of a marriage is that when you're committed to that person and you say, that's where you just say, I, I'm gonna take divorce. If I'm, if I'm a married couple, if you're a married couple here today, you just take that out of your dictionary. Divorce doesn't even exist. We're gonna be committed to each other, to Christ. Um, and yet... There are times, like Jesus said, because of sexual immorality. Now, in, when he's speaking in Matthew chapter uh, 5, verse 32, and he t- it talks about sexual immorality, I don't think he's saying like there was a, a one-time situation where somebody committed adultery and there was repentance and there was reconciliation. He's, it's really implying an ongoing kind of like lifestyle of someone who is a cheater and someone who's just going off and doing their thing. Because I believe that even if somebody were to commit adultery within a marriage, I believe that God could restore and reconcile that marriage. I believe that. And I believe Jesus meant that too when he was saying this. He wasn't just saying like, hey, when, you know, you just get off the hook here. But there are some other reasons that somebody might divorce. Um, another one talks about in, in first Corinthians chapter seven, when another person abandoned, some of you have been abandoned by a spouse and it was your heart's desire to work this out and to figure out whatever you could do. And the other person chose to leave, obviously, biblically, you are now free because that person chose to leave. I would also suggest and can make a biblical uh, argument for the fact that what's another what's another reason for somebody to leave the relationship if there is is physical abuse and that person is unsafe now here's what i want you to here's what i want you guys to understand here is that i don't think for any sort of marriage any marriage that somehow you go from being married to just divorced. I think that there's always this a, a sense of separation in order to, to work all out the issues and to work on the problems. And that's what, what God wants. He wants you to, to fight for the marriage, to fight. And some of you fought, and the other person chose to leave. Again, like, there's nothing you can do about that. But he, he wants the marriage relationship to work out. He desires for that relationship, and can I just acknowledge that for some of you, I am so sorry that it didn't work out, and that you had to experience the pain of that divorce, and you had to experience the consequences, and the heartache, and feeling like your heart being ripped out of your chest. I'm just sorry, and I just want to offer that to you today, because Jesus, you know, he says in Matthew chapter 19, verse 4 through 6, he says, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So again, Jesus is quoting Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. And he says, he's made them male and female. And just, a, and I've said this before, it's a little bit of an aside, but God is the one who assigns somebody their gender. He's the one that makes them male or female. And, and so he says, when they come together, they are united. They're joined together. Do you understand the Greek word for united is literally glued and so when people come together in a marriage covenant relationship before God and before other witnesses, and they come into that marriage relationship, they're literally glued together. They're glued physically, emotionally, and glued spiritually. And have you ever glued two pieces of paper together and then let that glue dry? And then what would you do? Can you imagine if you tried to rip those two pieces of paper apart that, that, that are glued together? What happens? It gets torn up and it just it doesn't get, you know, pulled apart evenly and there's pain. That's what happens when there's divorce. And that's why God's saying, no, 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 I, I, there's a better way here. And so what I want to do today is I want to bring some encouragement to you guys today. I want to be able to, to bring some principles. If you are married here today to, to encourage your marriage. If you're not married here today, these principles are going to apply across the board. These principles that I'm going to give you today are biblical principles that will apply to every single relationship in your life. Relationship to your, to your parents, to your friends, to your coworkers. And these relationships are going to, are, are these uh, principles are going to encourage your relationship. And so the question I want to ask is how to have oneness? How to have oneness? As we talk about having a, a strong and healthy marriage, Marriage is the joining of two hearts. It's when me becomes we, and the two are t- joined together physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And so the first, if you're taking notes, the first principle I want to give you in a healthy and strong marriage or any relationship is, one, is unconditional love. Write that down, unconditional love. You see, love in our culture is oftentimes associated by how someone makes us feel. And, and there's different words in the Greek for love. There's four different words, actually. You have uh, storehe is the love that family members have for each other. And so that, that's a certain kind of love. Then you have phileo, where it's, it's a, it's, a, it's a friendship love where you're like have this tight friend and you got, you know, it's like the Philadelphia, the, the city of brotherly love. And then you have Eros and Eros is that romantic love. That's the love that we talk about oftentimes in our culture when, oh, I love this person. I love the way they make me feel and it's romantic and it's Eros. And then there's this Greek word Agape agape is god's love for us it's his unconditional love it's he seeks our highest and our best all the time and that's the love that god is talking about in any sort of relationship that's going to succeed we have to have that agape type of love in fact the the greatest description of love comes from 1 corinthians chapter 13 verses 4 through 8 it says love is patient love is kind it does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And so if you look at that, that word for love there, it's like love is a verb. Love is an action. Love is sacrifice. Love has nothing to do with how the other person makes you feel. It's all about what you can give away. And love really isn't love until you do give it away. And it's the same kind of love that God had for us when he sent his son Jesus. And so I, I, love, I, just, I love that. If if we can apply this verse in our relationships, in our marriages, how much better off would we be if we just applied 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. This is a great verse in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Uh, You know, in contrast with the the day of Jesus and the audience that he's speaking to, and people are getting divorced for any reason that they want. These are words from Paul in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. He says, husbands... Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So husbands, we are to love our wives the way Christ loved the church. We're willing, we have to sacrifice. And What does that look like? Okay, I'm gonna be a little bit self-serving here this morning, but this is what it looked like for me. Three o'clock in the morning this morning, my little, my little seven-pound white shih tzu Starts crying because she wants to go outside and go potty. And so I'm laying there and I'm going, I'm kind of thinking like, I hope that she stops. I hope that she stops doing this little whimpering thing. And and then I hear Elissa start to get up and and she starts moving around. And I'm like, I don't want to do this right now. I don't want to get up. Let's just everybody go back to sleep. But then I I, I see Elissa starting to get out of bed. I'm like, oh, no, no, I can't make her get out of bed. And so I said, "I'll, I'll get her. I'll get her. And so as I walk down, I stumble down the steps, and I'm, like, tempted to kick my dog. I'm like, no, 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 I'm doing this because I want my wife to sleep, and I know she's had a headache for the past few days, and I just, I, I need, and so I, I'm trying, <laughs> you know, it's, it's actually hard to love sometimes, right? Like, you, it's not, you don't always have the feeling of love, but in that moment, I wanted to do the right thing, and I wanted to, to take my dog out because I wanted my wife to sleep that's just a picture that's just a little little sacrifice right that's not like a big thing but like that's what we've been called to do i'm going to put your needs above my needs when we do that in relationship when we put other people's needs above our needs guess what happens we think that somehow we lose in that. No, the relationship only gets stronger. And, and we think love is a 50-50 proposition. Like in marriage, you go in and say, okay, I'll scratch your back. You scratch my back. And we'll kind of we'll even the score here. And we'll make sure that we're just kind of. No, 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 no. You know, what, you know what real love in a relationship is? Is I am committed to loving you 100% of the time, all the time. I love what, uh, there's a, this famous author, he's a, a, a Christian author, David Willis. He says, marriage is not 50-50. Divorce is 50-50. Marriage has to be 100-100. It isn't dividing everything in half, but giving everything you got. Isn't that a great quote? It's just like, I'm, I'm unconditionally loving you. I love that part of it. I love that part of it. And so, um, secondly, is the next thing is is acceptance. That we need acceptance in our relationships, in our marriages. The, The deepest and longing, deepest thing in our hearts is to be fully known. And we all have this sinful nature. Even after we become a follower of Jesus and he sanctified us. There's this practical sanctifying process that we go through, and we still have habits. Uh, We still have areas of our lives that are are not sanctified, and and that's why we need God's grace, and we need the body of Christ to come alongside, but we've got weaknesses. And, And when you can be known in those weaknesses and still fully accepted by another human being, and that's what happens in the marriage relationship. My wife knows me better than anyone. Like you, you see me get up here and preach. and It's like, oh, he knows the Bible. He says some things. And I kind of agree with him. And yeah, yeah. When I walk through those doors, that's when, that's when it gets real. Who am I really? And in, in the midst of like my weaknesses, she accepts and loves me. And you know what? It's the acceptance and the love that I, that I experience from her that actually helps me to grow and become more like God. It's a beautiful relationship. And so in, in Romans chapter 15, verse 7, Paul says, Accept one another, then just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. And just as God has accepted you, Now, he doesn't always approve of everything that we do, but as a person at the core of who we are, he accepts us. That's what we understand in Christ coming to die for us. And so as a result of that, if God can accept us like that, we can accept others and our weaknesses. The beautiful thing about uh, a marriage relationship or or any sort of relationship is the idea of complementing each other. If you think about, like, a, a marriage relationship and accepting each other, like, it's, it's the very things, the, the opposites that attracted us to our, our spouses, right? And, the, and I've heard this quote that opposites attract, and then when you get married, opposites attack. And uh, it's kind of, like, true. And what's funny about Elissa and I, as she came walking in, she's like, oh, I don't want to be part of this. Elissa, when we take those personality tests, we are completely opposite on every single category. Like we couldn't be any more opposite. And so we are like the definition of opposites attract. And so when we were younger, that was a source of conflict and tension in our marriage. Because the very things that, like, the very things that drew us together were the things that then when, when I was, okay, let's just be honest. She's a little more organized. I'm a little more disorganized. And so I would be disorganized in my chaos. And she'd be like, hey, why can't you just, like, pick up your underwear? I'm like, I don't know, because I like them on the floor. And how <laughs> can I confess? But, we, but what would happen as we, we were committed To God. And we just, we've always had a really cool chemistry. I mean, if you guys around us enough, we just, we have fun in our marriage. But we had this kind of chemistry where, we, but we, we decided, listen, we are going to look to God. He's going to be the foundation. We're going to honor him with our relationship, and then we're going to allow him to, to grow us in this, in this relationship. And so the things that used to annoy us, I then began to look at her and the different personality, the fact that she was organized, the fact that she liked to plan ahead on things, and I started to look at that and value it and thank God for bringing that woman into my life because I would probably be living out on the beach with a guitar like homeless right now, and so I'm thankful that God brought this woman into my life, and she has appreciated my spontaneity, and my vision, and my excitement for life, and so when we get together, and we complement each other, we are like, it's 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 awesome, but just get this right. We don't complete each other. This is not Jerry Maguire. You complete me, right? This is not because God completes each one of us individually. But together, as we then look to him, it's like a triangle. And as we as we look to God, and the closer we get to God, the closer we get to each other, and the more we appreciate our differences. Isn't that awesome? We actually appreciate now our differences instead of looking at them as like, why can't you just be more like me? And so we accept one another. That's a, a great... Um, Great quote by a theologian named Rocky Balboa. And he was asked, he was asked by his, his uh, member, um, Adrian, Adrian's brother, Polly. And he's just kind of this drunk dude. And he's, he's just mean. And he's like, he says to Rock, he says, Rock, why do you like my sister so much? And he says, well, I got gaps and she's got gaps but together we got no gaps, you know. <laughs> and isn't that this is beautiful in relationship? Like we, we have, I, you have weaknesses that your spouse compliments. I have weaknesses that my you know Elyssa comp, compliments, and it's beautiful. So that was the worst impression of Rocky ever, because I I really love Rocky. So uh, the third thing that I want to share with you guys in a, in a healthy marriage or any sort of relationship is empathy. Is empathy. And, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a verse that could save you hundreds, maybe thousands of dollars in counseling if we were just to apply this to our relationships or to our marriages. Check this out. Look in your James 1.19. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Isn't that great? I know my wife's going, you probably should apply that in your life, Billy. Um, but you must all be, if we just were like, hey, we got two ears and one mouth. So listen, twice as much as we speak, right? It's just, it's a very simple mathematical thing. The The Greek word there for listen is not just to listen auditory. Like it's not just to kind of hear the words coming out. It's to listen with the intent of understanding what the person is trying to say. And so if we, the, empathy is, is one of the hugest values and virtues of a, of a healthy relationship. Because and here's how it plays out in our lives, right? When Alyssa was, uh, when we were younger and she would come home and she would be talking to me about her day, guess what I went into? I went right into problem-solving mode. And she would be telling me about, and you know, her boss, wasn't he treating her right stuff? And I'm like, well, you know what you need to do? And I start telling her, and she, she's like, why are, you, why are you telling me what to do? I'm like, I, isn't that what I'm supposed to do? No, I just want you to listen I just want you to understand what I'm going through. You see, that's in marriage, you're not lonely anymore. And so, if we can enter into the other person's shoes and walk in the other person's shoes again, this applies to all relationships we're gonna understand more. Isn't that what God did when He sent His Son Jesus Christ to this earth? He says, I'm going to come and I'm going to walk in. in, I'm going to I'm going to be born into this earth. I'm going to I'm going to walk in your shoes. I'm going to experience the pain that you experience. I'm going to understand everything that you go through and I'm going to die on a cross for you. The, The theological word for that God becoming a man is called the incarnation. And in the incarnation, God brings his empathy and his love for us. And so we don't have to, in any sort of relationship, try to fix the other person. Oftentimes what they, they need is they need to be understood. Now there's times when you, like, you have to offer some like, hey, I, I kind of have some advice here. Like, I, I'm not saying like completely, but first and foremost, that person is understood in the relationship as you show empathy. Romans twelve ten says, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. And the the third and the last thing that I want to talk to you guys about in relationship is forgiveness. Forgiveness is the next key ingredient to a healthy and strong marriage. And so, obviously, this is pretty, you know, this is obvious, that marriage is two imperfect people coming together. That any sort of relationship, any friendship, is two imperfect people in that relationship. And as a result of that, there's going to be disappointment. There's going to be pain. There's going to be broken promises. There's going to be, I didn't follow through with this. There's going to be, hey, I'm, you know, I said this, and I wish I could take it back. And so we need to be able to forgive each other. And forgiveness, so if you don't forgive, what happens is that bitterness, resentment begin to poison our veins. And we get so angry, and so hurt. And so when we forgive the other person, it's the anecdote to all that resentment and bitterness. And so you maybe you just need to forgive. The Bible says this in Colossians chapter 3 verse 13. I love what the, how the New Living Translation uh, puts it. Make allowance for each other's faults. So there's just a, a certain amount of like, we're just quirky, and we've got habits, and we've got some things that annoy us sometimes. Make allowance for that, right? And forgive anyone who offends you. That's a next step. If somebody offends you, somebody hurts you, forgive them. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And the only way that we can forgive others is by understanding how much we've been forgiven. That we have a God who loves us, who's forgiven us past, present, future, and he loves us. And so we need to be able to forgive. So what are the, three, the four principles? Unconditional love, acceptance, empathy, and forgiveness. These are four biggies in any sort of relationship that you can walk out of here and begin to apply today and have stronger, healthy relationships. You see, just to get back to what Jesus was talking about Jesus is all about marriage. He's the one that created it. He's the one that created a man and a woman, and his intentions are that a man and a woman would be together for life. And so he's going to offer any sort of resources, any sort of wisdom. He's going to continue to pour out love into that relationship. But I have to say this. In any relationship, put God first in that relationship. Put him first. I'm gonna, we're going we're to look to him. We're going to trust him. I remember before Elissa and I got married, we had been dating uh, since high school and we'd been dating for a while. And there was a point when we, we were kind of going to get married and, and then maybe not. And, and so during this season, God revealed to both of us that we had made each other an idol and we had not put him first. And God had to allow us to go through a difficult season of our dating in order to get to a place where both of us came to that realization that God has to be first and foundational in our marriage. And when we did that, we could, okay, now we can enter into that relationship. And now we can know that we have security because God is going to be our number one. And that's the, that's the point here. He's always got to be number one in your relationships. And so um, let me let me pray for you. I want to uh, end with this one last quote. Uh, a healthy marriage is two imperfect people who are able to forgive and refuse to give up on each other. That uh, was quoted by someone who's still married. So um, let's pray together. First of all, Lord, I want to I pray for anyone who has been affected by divorce and they've experienced the pain and the sadness and the broken of that. Lord, would you just continue to bring healing and comfort, to bring wisdom. Lord, we thank you for your grace and for your forgiveness and all of this, Lord. But God, we know that your intentions are that relationships stay, stay together, and as we talk about the marriage relationship, that that stays together. And so, Lord, for those that are married right now, God, would you give them the grace the strength, the resources, everything that they need, Lord, to be able to grow closer to you and to their mate. Father, I pray that you would bless the marriages in our church. God, it's, it's, it can be difficult sometimes. Lord, and, and when, when we don't see eye to eye, that we would look and see eye to eye with you. That when we don't know what to do next, Lord, we would keep our eyes and our hearts focused on you, knowing that you are the ultimate restorer You're the ultimate reconciler. You're the ultimate healer. And so, Lord, I want to pray even now for any marriages that are going through something very difficult, something that seems insurmountable, and they don't even know how they're going to get through it right now. In the name of Jesus, that you would pour your spirit out upon that marriage and you'd bring healing. Thank you, Jesus, that you have described us that the body of Christ, we are the bride of Christ, that you are the, we are your bride, your beautiful bride that you're coming back for. And thank you, Jesus, that you are always faithful. Thank you that you will never leave us. You're a husband that will, will never, never forsake us, Lord. And you're a, a God who just loves us beyond what we can ever imagine. And so as we're the bride of Christ, Lord, let us be a beautiful bride And thank you that Jesus, you died so that we could be a beautiful bride and we believe and trust in you. It's in your name we pray, amen.